0: So then there's a stress there. I was like, well, do I become more technical? But then if I do that, do, do I lose some value in the podcast? Like, mm. is there value in me not being technical? Because then I'm asking dumb, dumb questions that other people have. Mm. So that's very difficult to decide what to do. I, I, I think I should become more technical, but I try, but also not lose that edge. I think there are great technical podcasts out there. I right? like to...
1: My name is Stuart Alsop and this is my podcast, Crazy Wisdom, where I interview creative people about how they work with and manage the stress that is inherent in creative work. What I've realized over the past 10 years of my research is that anybody who is creating something of value that is significantly different from what has come before is considered crazy. Most of us have a fear, an ingrained fear of going crazy. Uh, So what I'm saying is grab onto that fear, realize that it's there and just go with it because the problems we're going to be facing over the next 20 years require crazy people in order to solve them. So welcome to the crazy wisdom podcast. My guest here is Peter McCormick. Uh, he is the host of the popular, um, podcast. What Bitcoin did, um, has some really interesting stuff to share. Uh, welcome to the show.
0: Hey man. Thank you for having me on.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, I love, I love your story about how you created the podcast. Can you tell my guests a little bit more about how your podcast started?
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, so no real plan. Um, I just kind of fell into the world of Bitcoin late two thousand and sixteen uh, all coins as well didn't really know the difference between them apart from Bitcoin being the first one, and kind of fell down the ethereum rabbit hole for a little bit and all coins and after about a year, I realized they weren't really much, but during that time i I knew I wasn't really much of a trader, and I Started to write instead. I've always kind of liked writing, so I had this little blog. um, I've deleted most of the posts now because a lot of it, looking back, is nonsense. But (laughs) I've got a friend who's a successful blogger. uh, Sorry, successful podcaster. His name's Rich Roll. It's one of the best podcasts I think out there. And I was just one. I was in LA staying with my friend, and just kind of woke up one day and thought, you know, what? I think I'm going to do a podcast. So uh, I contacted my buddy Rich. I said, look, how do you do this? He uh, gave me a quick primer. So. They ordered all the equipment on Amazon, reached out to Luke Martin, who is Venture Coinist and said, do you want to do an interview? And he said, yes. And here we are 18 months later, 103 episodes, I think I've done. And yeah,
1: that's awesome. No real plan.
0: It's just happened.
1: Yeah. And um, the thing I love about doing podcasts is it is it seems to increase my learning exponentially. Like I can reach out to somebody and really get like it's almost like a download whereas if i if i just read about something or i listen to something it doesn't really do the same thing as just having a conversation with somebody have you noticed that as well
0: yes totally i've learned so much by doing this podcast reaching out and talking to people and sometimes i get criticized by some of the guests i have uh, some of the bitcoiners don't like it when i talk to people who are maybe from the bitcoin cash side or ethereum but I've learned a lot by doing those interviews. I've learned a lot about what I like, what I don't like, what I'm interested in and what I'm not from that. And if anything, a lot of those interviews have pushed me to be an even more maximalist on the Bitcoin side.
1: Mm. Interesting. Can you explain why, how that is leading to that?
0: I think you can tell a lot from somebody by doing an interview with them, especially when doing them in person. Um, you get a lot from their character, but also I tend to do a lot of research on my interviews. so. You know, I did an interview with Roger Ver about a year ago and I spent about three days prepping for it, reading and learning. So it's kind of forced me to learn a lot more, but I kind of never, never kind of like stopped that process of learning. Occasionally I will go back outside of the Bitcoin universe and interview other people because, you know, for example, the world of Ethereum at the moment, I don't hold any Ethereum. I've got no intention of buying any, but there are certainly things that have been built on it and there's certainly things that have been built on it that have been used despite what everyone said about historically the the claims of what ethereum will be always changing or that they don't believe has ability to scale that a lot of the ideas they have are nonsense there are still people who believe in it use it so sometimes i'm like well am i missing something here so by doing interviews like again i learn more about it so yeah i I always keep an open mind to stuff like that
1: Hmm. and what is it about ethereum that you think is not working right now or not not have a long-term capability of creating value
0: well, like I guess the more I learn about Bitcoin uh, as a store of value mm. and as you know it has monetary properties, but as a store of value, I kind of realize that it's very important that we kind of that that we as kind of humans and and and, uh, and a race of people work towards a single money, which is the best. That's not saying something can come along and be better, but it seems to me that what works for Bitcoin is that it moves slowly, it's very simple it is a store of value that can be transferred from person to person. And that's pretty much what it is. Yes, you can build other things on top of it, but mm. it's always been this kind of monetary thing that you can send from one person to another. Now at some point it's kind of the narrative flip from being kind of peer to peer money to being a store of value because in terms of the technology or in terms of the uh, economics that kind of made sense. So, but it's very simple. It moves very slowly. The developers move very slowly and these kind of blockchains can be complicated so that kind of makes sense for me in terms of bitcoin when i look at ethereum what people are trying to achieve with that and all the different things they're trying to do with that on these complicated Mm. you know blockchains so let me put it a different way blockchains aren't that don't seem to be that complicated to me ethereum has made it very complicated Mm. and is trying to create something which is kind of money but it's kind of all these other things and I just think it's become too complicated. I think they're going to have a, a huge amount of difficulty scaling. And with my limited, limited technical knowledge, the things I've read, have given me certain doubts.
1: Mm. That's a good, really good point. And also there seems to be a faith element within the Bitcoin, Bitcoin community that creates a feedback loop where this is becoming a huge store of value because there's a certain group of people who are just fanatic about it. Does that ring true to you as well?
0: Uh, it's tough. It's tough. Fanatic about it. It depends what you mean by fanatic because fanatic can also have negative connotations. Mm-hmm. I think there's different factions of people who uh, who treat Bitcoin in different ways or communicate to wider audiences about Bitcoin in different ways. Mm-hmm. And it's like a full spectrum. You've got very, very hardline Bitcoin maximalists who have a very firm belief of what Bitcoin is and are they don't really have any patience for anything outside of that. They kind of hold people to, uh, they, they kind of like, they hold judgment against people and they, they put pressure on people like I get sometimes, mm. but they get why, they get why, you know, Bitcoin is possibly the best money we've ever had, mm. like a super important uh, form of money. And I think these people are, will defend it like with all their might. will defend it to the hill and i think that's really important because you know something like bitcoin cash is considered by some people an attack on bitcoin and if you kind of let people mess with bitcoin too much you might destroy this opportunity so i get i do get that Mm. at the same time there are people who are a little bit more open-minded and i think it requires a spectrum of people to help the broad spectrum of people coming in i don't think the hardcore maximalists are particularly useful for brand new people to bitcoin i think mm. they need a softer more gentler mm. introduction but i think i think there are different factions and they're all important
1: yeah yeah i didn't mean to say fanatic i meant to say uh people get into it and then get into it because they hear about it from their friends they hear the prices up and then they they get some and then they start going further and further down the rabbit hole and the rabbit hole just leads like for my own, you know, in my own example, it led me to like now become a believer that this, there, there, there is something there. Whereas before I was a skeptic. Um, so it's something about, mm. about, about actually having, having skin in the game essentially that creates a believer. Cause I, I don't know many people who have bought Bitcoin and then like, like, Oh, that, that that's a, that's a stupid thing. Um, like usually if you, if you're going down that rabbit hole, you kind of buy into part of it. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I, no, I do. I think you're right. But it takes a lot of time because, you know, when you first hear about it, you're like, what? So somebody's just invented some money that's uh, only available on the Internet. That sounds a bit weird and a bit scammy. You can't just invent money because what's back in it? There's no government back in it. So it takes some people a lot of time to actually dig into that and start to realize, well, OK, hold on. But the governments, they inflate money. So your money loses value because they print new money. Mm. And, uh, you know, they tax your money relentlessly and they use that money for wars in, uh, in, uh, in the Middle East to bomb people. And you start to, once you start going down the rabbit hole, you start to realize, hold on, like normal money is kind of bullshit. If we can all agree that something has value and we can all agree this is a better form of money, it kind of takes power, power, power away from nefarious people who work in governments. And that's a good thing. But, you know, it's a big shift you know, I've been working on this for now over a couple of years and I still so much, I don't know, or understand. And thankfully I'm surrounded by people who understand more than me that I learn from them. But yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's not easy. Mm.
1: So that I want to talk about stress and I want to talk about, uh, um, kind of what are the main stressors that you've faced in building this? Do you get a lot of like hate mail? Cause people in Bitcoin, as we kind of talked about earlier, the, the um, a few, a few of them can be quite uh, intense. Uh, Particularly over the internet, what what are the stresses you've faced, and and how have you dealt with them?
0: Yeah, uh, a lot. Uh, Yeah, uh, there's different stresses. Um, Firstly, I have to say I absolutely love it as a job. Of of any job I've had, this is without doubt my favorite job. Um, I feel absolutely blessed. I get to do this every day. You know, my job is to interview people, produce something that you know lots of people listen to and appreciate, and I get a lot of positive feedback from. I get to travel the world with it, you know. Uh, it's you know there are people who work jobs where they basically watch the clock all day and they hate what they do. And I'm very fortunate to do this, and I've also fortunate to get it to a point where it you know pays me a a, a solid income. Mm. So I do want to start with that to say there are positive, but there are negatives and there are stresses, and there are different ones. The main one is the pressure from the audience, um, and I have got some quite brutal treatment at times because. I don't always interview Bitcoin people. Sometimes mm. I step out sometimes, and I'm interviewing people that a lot of Bitcoin people will say, well, they are scammers or, you know, they are frauds or they are, you know, whatever name they want to call them. And, you know, whether or not these people are scammers or frauds, I still want to interview people if I think it's going to help me with my education. It's going to help other people with their education. I think there's a story to tell. But sometimes, I mean, there was, a, there was a time recently where it just got a bit too much, like mm. to the point where I thought, fuck, oh, is it? Sorry, can I swear a your podcast? Yeah, totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, fuck, is this even worth it? So, you know, I'm doing this lightning series and I wanted to interview somebody from the Bitcoin Cash side because I wanted to see what the kind of negative views were on the Lightning Network. But I didn't want to get it from some, just somebody in. So I, mm. I, I actually ended up doing kind of two or three like that. I mm. wanted somebody and a Lightning, but I wanted somebody as contrarian as I can get, somebody who probably wants Lightning to fail, because I wanted to see the different viewpoints. Not only what the viewpoints were, but how they spoke about those negative points. Mm. So I picked Peter Risen, and now I didn't know his entire past, but I knew he wasn't popular with Bitcoiners, and then that's when the shit started. Um, Mm. I was on a flight, so I was flying from uh, Boston to Hong Kong via New York, And so I flew to, so I got on my plane at Boston and there was, um, before we got on the plane, there was like a four hour delay. Then I got on the plane and we were delayed on the plane for two hours and I was checking my Twitter and I was just getting relentless messages from people telling me I shouldn't do this. I'm supporting a scammer, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And I canceled the interview and and after that, I was really disappointed in myself canceling the interview, but I was just so tired. I'd had like seven flights in four days Mm. and I did. And then I realized that was the worst thing to do. So I reinstated the interview, said I was going to do it. And I flew to Hong Kong, no wifi. I got off the plane and I must've had like a thousand alerts on my phone. Mm. There were things on Reddit about me and there were things on Twitter. And what ended up happening is I ended up getting the wrath of both sides. I got the wrath of the Bitcoiners for doing the interview. And I got the wrath of the Bitcoin cash people for not doing it. <laughs> and it's, it's brutal. Yeah. And now some people will, um, some people will say, Oh, well, you've chosen this path. You just have to suffer it. or get some thicker skin, you snowflake mm. or, um, you
2: know,
0: whatever. You know, people will say these things and, you know, one or two here or there is quite fine. But when you've had three mm. or four days of intense, you know, people going for you, people writing or tweeting to your sponsors saying, why are you uh, sponsoring this guy? Mm. Or calling you a scammer and then running polls calling you a scammer. You know, the the fear inside is, have I screwed this up? Am I going to lose all my listeners? Everything I've done for 18 months, blown up in my face for the choice of an interview. Now, the choice of an interview should not do that, but it's super stressful and I was really stressed. And that kind of of problem has now maintained, it's it's kind of stuck with me for about two months now because I did the interview and post-interview and because sometimes I like to explore parts of the story which other people don't like. And, you know, I get relentlessly attacked Mm. for it. And like I say, some people are like, you know, you're you're a whiny baby or you're this and you bring on yourself. And certainly at times I'm a hypocrite, you know, I can be spiky and I can be a troll at times myself. At the same time, it is a lot of pressure. Mm. And when you're trying to make the right decisions, it can be very, very stressful because you're thinking like there's another interview I want to do at the moment. And I'm at the moment, I'm thinking, should I do it? I'm going to get all this stress and pressure. I feel it's worthy, And now I'm feeling the pressure even of choosing guests because of what the, how that might reflect on me. So that, that itself, that's probably the most stressful part of the job. Mm. I I used to find it stressful trying to get guests, you know, hustling to get guests because they, there's so many podcasts and they get hassled all the time and Mm. they, yeah, you know getting fed up I've, um, I, I think I've earned myself a certain place where people are happy to come up because I've got a decent audience and I've you know put the hard work in and then financially it's a there are certain stresses because you know I have to keep a certain level of sponsorship now I'm doing okay with that but if that dropped off you know what would I do but but yeah no the main stress I would say 90% of it is the pressure from my choice of guests and how I handle the interviews and the, the response to the interviews. And I think the majority from the, of the pressure comes from a very loud and small minority. Yeah. Um, but, but some of the things that like there was one guy, I'm not going to name it on Twitter recently, who's just been just relentless making things up about me, mm. calling me a sociopathic narcissist, mm. uh, telling me the way I'm treating people is abusive, uh, calling me a scammer, um, saying I am taking money from scammers, like it was about four, about a week's worth of stuff from this guy, and it's mm. it's it's annoying because a lot of it's false, <laughs> it mm. just fucking lies, and um, and you can spend so much time defending yourself, correcting them. To what end? So yeah, that, they're the main stressors. Mm-hmm. How about yourself, man? <laughs> what,
1: what's stress- yeah. Well, I, I haven't, I haven't gotten into those, into those, into that type of stress yet. Cause my show hasn't gotten that, um, to that, to that level yet, but, uh, but I'm aware of it. And now that my tweets are starting to become more popular, it has started to happen. This kind of just like, and maybe it's not the same thing, but it's essentially this, this, Twitter is not a place for nuance and somebody will come on and uh, get the one thing that you aren't supposed to, you you can't actually put in there because Twitter is not a place for nuance. And so they like, it's just like, a. um, and this is what I wanted to ask is that, so everybody now with the internet, with the social media, everybody has a chance to publish their own thoughts. Whereas before it was a one to many, you know, TV, uh, radio were, were one to many. And then now social media is one to one, one to many. Um, it's like all Anybody can publish their own thoughts without having a gatekeeper, and this is so interesting for crypto as well because it seems that crypto has risen because not because, but a substantial number of people have gotten interested in 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 crypto because of places like Twitter, um, where people are just constantly talking about it. What is this intersection between social media, particularly in Twitter, and cryptocurrency? Yeah.
0: uh, I mean, can you, sorry, ask the question again, just because I want to answer it, make sure I answer it correctly. Like I I heard what you said, but just Mm -hmm. what the actual question itself.
1: So, uh, basically there's this rise of, of social media where everybody can publish whatever they want, their thoughts, any ideas, anything they do immediately with no gatekeepers. And then you have the rise of, Cryptocurrencies money on the internet that you can transact value on the internet without any centralized database. And so you have these two kind of Decentralized things. What is the connection between them? What is the intersection? How has Twitter influenced the growth of cryptocurrency? Um, right, okay. I get, I get what you're saying. Okay. Well
0: firstly, Twitter isn't decentralized. It is centralized yeah, and first, yeah. they have uh, They have moderation policies and they censor people Mm. Uh, some, you know, and I watched Jack Dorsey's interview with uh, Joe Rogan. I found it super interesting. You know, it must be very hard to try and uh, moderate millions of people sending billions of tweets. It must be mm. super hard. And I got, took that from it. I do feel like Twitter does seem to have a censorship bias towards conservative views and opinions. And I think they've possibly enacted... Uh, some of, I think they've removed people from Twitter, which they shouldn't have. Mm. So that's very, that, that is that is different because censorship does exist on Twitter. Mm. Censorship's a really strange thing. I was talking about it to my son the other day. So he wants he has to he does drama at school. He's very good at drama, and he's about to do a monologue. And the monologue he picked was uh, one that was read by the guy, the young actor who was in Call Me By Your Name and a few other films recently. He's done very well. He was Oscar nominated for that. It was one he did. I think it's something like the New York Drama College or something. It's got some racist undertones to the uh, piece, but it's a historical piece and it's very Mm. creative. Mm. And he spoke to me and he said, you know, the school might not let me do it because there's these racist undertones. Now they've allowed it.
2: Mm. And
0: so I opened the conversation with him and said, well, if they think if they said you shouldn't have d- done it i think you should have stood up to them because i think this is censorship of creative work and i don't think that's a good thing mm. and he said well look should people just be able to say anything so i interviewed uh, andrew talber from gab.com mm. they have a censorship free platform they have certain rules about like you can't upload pedophilia and you can't do things that criminal criminal but if you want to be homophobic or racist you can be And then my son said to me, I said, well, can I just go up to anybody and say anything? And I was like, well, no, you can't do that. There are certain limits, but in in a creative work, you shouldn't. So I do find the whole censorship topic super complicated. Mm. And by the way, I know I'm like going outside of your question. Now let's go back to your question in terms of censorship money and how Twitter has influenced it. I think well, certainly it is, it's done a couple of things. It's helped raise awareness without doubt, but it's created this kind of war zone Mm -hmm. (laughs) of, of debates and arguments about Bitcoin and other crypto uh, currencies, which is super interesting, but at times it's just intense, and you've got to step back from it. And I don't know. Some days I think maybe I shouldn't do this at all. Maybe I should just get away from Twitter. Mm. But um, but it's yeah, it's a it's a very interesting place to spend uh, half your day.
1: Mm. Have you ever have you do you think with with all this kind of I would I don't know call it hate mail or or um, intense. Spotlight on you through Twitter and other things. Have you gotten uh, better at handling that or is it always the it is always difficult?
0: Uh, I go through phases. Sometimes I think I handle it very well Sometimes I don't like I know in my mind what I should do. Mm. I should spend less time on there engage less uh, block more mute more, etc, etc. Just accept That if you put something out, people are going to say stupid things or wrong things. Mm. My biggest mistake is I I always correct people who say things about me which are incorrect. Or they make misrepresentations about me. So, for example, if I want to do a Bitcoin cash interview, they'll say, oh, Pete gives a platform to scammers. And I will always say, I don't give anyone a platform I offer interviews.
2: Mm.
0: Or they'll say things like, oh, Pete is promoting two coins. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I promote Bitcoin, I support Bitcoin, I do not promote Bitcoin cash, but in part of doing my work, I need to understand this, therefore I need to do the interviews. Mm. But it, can't, it gets to the point where you're like, why, why, why spend all this time defending myself? You know, mm. Why put fuel to the fire? So yeah, I guess it's the difficult thing as well, because tw- Twitter has been very good for me in terms of raising awareness of the podcast, mm. you know, building an audience But I know I need to step away from it. I know I need to fight less. I know I need to get involved in less drama. And sometimes I'm good at it and sometimes I'm not. Mm,
1: Yeah, Yeah, it must be really difficult. So let's get into the kind of creativity aspect of the show. Um, So you've got your stressors. You've got this kind of intense intense media uh, look into what you're doing. And some people like it, some people don't. Uh, And now let's talk about creativity and your thoughts on creativity what is creativity um, and particularly maybe like a for a longer more of a discussion how will cryptocurrency or Bitcoin in particular uh, contribute to people's ability to create
0: yeah great question really great question it's quite a broad question as well really when you ask it when I think about it because mm-hmm. there is I think I think one of the good things about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, it's given a way for people to be paid in a way they haven't been paid before. Mm. So you can be an artist, you know, working, I don't know, maybe you're an artist working in somewhere like Argentina, and you can put your artwork online and you can sell it, or people can donate in Bitcoin. And that's great. That gives you a way of raising money or being paid for your creative work. And I think we're going to see continued growth and expansion of that. And I think that's super important. But there is also people who are being creative themselves with Bitcoin, with what they're developing and, and how they're going to use the technology for different ideas. So, for example, micropayments on Lightning Network for content.
2: Mm. Alex
0: Bosworth created something called Yarls.org, whereby you can pay for an article with a microtransaction, which mm. is a you know something that people have struggled to create with fiat, But with like less than a penny, you can buy articles, something that would not be possible with your credit or debit card or any other, uh, payment uh, rail at the moment so there's the creativity of what you can do with creating businesses but then completely separate there are people who are creatives who are able to get paid for the work they do with Bitcoin I think both of those are super interesting
1: mm, that's really interesting and then there's the creativity of people who are actually have created Bitcoin itself and all of that's shrouded in mystery uh, which I love um, uh, like w- what is the creative element behind Bitcoin that didn't exist before Bitcoin? Um,
0: hmm, the creative element of Bitcoin. That, I mean, I, I think you can say that it required a certain amount of creativity to bring all the aspects of creating this this, this new form of money mm. together. Because people have tried before. David Trapp, Cham tried to do it with DigiCash. Uh, Nick Szabo tried to do it with Bitgold. So there are a bunch of people who tried it in different ways. And there are a bunch of bits of technology that came together. And and if Bitcoin hadn't worked, there would have been something afterwards. But Bitcoin was the first time somebody brought all these things together and solved all the problems of, you know, centralization, of uh, incentives, of double spend, all these different things that that somebody's been trying to solve has been solved and has been solved with Bitcoin. And I think that took a lot of creativity as well. Mm. Also, the monetary policy of Bitcoin, the inflation rate, you Mm. know, that every four years it halves. That created the incentive system and the, the game theory for the network to grow, which you know, dissipates over time. And all these things created required a certain amount of creativity. And the great thing about Bitcoin is the monetary policy has not changed in 10 years, whereas you know, something like Ethereum has already changed. Mm-hmm. I think it took a lot of creativity for someone to bring that all together and then bring people together to bootstrap the network and to get us to where we are now. And I think that's super impressive.
1: And that's really interesting that it hasn't changed at all in ten years, and that it can't change unless somebody does a fork. And then, if they try to fork it, fork the software and create a new type of currency, they'd have to get the buy-in from everybody from the old Bitcoin to then move to a new Bitcoin, like people have tried before. That's that's the way somebody would change the monetary policy, right?
0: Sorry, you cut out
1: there. Um, So, so in ten years, the Bitcoin hasn't changed its monetary policy, and that in order to change uh, that, that somebody would need to actually fork the Bitcoin, fork another Bitcoin and create a new thing and that convince everybody to move to that new network. Is that the only way that somebody could change the policy on Bitcoin?
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure to change the, the monetary policy does require a hard fork. Mm. People people always look into ways to do soft forks like SegWit originally thought was required to be a hard fork and they managed to do it with a soft fork. Interesting. And if you, do, if you do a hard fork, it's always dangerous. Mm. Because if you don't get complete uh, uh, agreement from all the miners, then what will happen is, as the network forks, the other chain might main, be maintained, and then that's another coin, and what does that mean? So, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure for the monetary policy to change, it does require hard fork. But it looks like right now, you don't need to change the monetary policy. Mm. Now, there are some loose discussions which have happened because of you know, we do have the block subsidy. It's 12 and a half Bitcoin at the moment. And the next halving will be like 6.7525 or whatever it is. Um, um, and, and over time, every four years, that's going to drop. And if the miners' uh, rewards, if the subsidy isn't replaced by enough fees, then there's a problem with security on the network. So some people are saying, well, mm-hmm. you know, what happens when the subsidy drops? If we don't have enough network usage, you know, what will we do? Could we bring in inflation? But inflation is like a, I a bad word with bitcoins. You know, a mm. lot of bitcoins like, no, it's 21 million. It's never going to change. So that wouldn't fly with some. Almost certainly if, it, if there was ever a, like a, a bit that led to inflation, the network was split in two and you'd have two bitcoins, which would be terrible. But, mm. but yeah.
1: Mm. So let's get into kind of what, what um, your plans are maybe outside of crypto or within crypto. Like where is the show going that you're creating?
0: Uh, just as it is, I, I'm starting to focus more on topics. So I did a whole series on the Mt. Gox hack mm. and what happened there, and that was super interesting. I don't, got a lot out of that, learned from that. I've just done a whole month on Lightning. I'm not sure a month dedicated to a, to a specific subject is a good idea, but I'm mm. glad I tried it. And um, yeah, I want to work on specials. I like to get exclusive interviews, but also at some point do want to start a, a new podcast which is outside of Bitcoin but similar kind of feels. So look at censorship or what's happening in crime or war zones or uh, drugs or, you know, all those kind of almost like vice style interviews. And mm. I've done a few, you know, I interviewed Ross Albright's mom, I interviewed a sex worker and I interviewed, as I mentioned, Andrew Torber about censorship. Mm. I would like to do another podcast, which is just feels like a sister podcast of what Bitcoin did, but just, isn't stuck to talk about Bitcoin, can talk about other subjects. And as soon as I have some time, I'll start that. I've recorded a couple of interviews already for it. So yeah, that's where I'm going, man.
1: That's really cool. Um, What are your main challenges in creating something, uh, in creating something of value? Uh, Or actually, I'd love to to ask you, have you experienced any stress in terms of um, keeping the quality up to a certain level, like worrying about now that you've got a large listeners? Is it, is it, Harder for you to maintain that quality? Is that something you think about?
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely think about it. I mean, I'm not very technical, which is something I used to get away with now, but now there's uh, more of a lens on my work. People are scrutinizing what I'm doing and they are criticizing my lack of technical skills and they're pointing mm-hmm. that out. So then there's a stress there. I was like, well, do I become more technical? But then if I do that, do, do I lose some value in the podcast? Like, mm-hmm. is there value in me not being technical? Because then I'm asking, um, questions that other people have mm. so that's very difficult to decide what to do i I'm, i think i should become more technical but i try but also not lose that edge i think there are great technical podcasts out there by like you know people who know a lot more than me marty bent's tales from the crypt or stefan Rivera's, um podcast they're both great and they're much more technical than me so i don't feel i need to overlap them and and, and therefore yeah, I, I I think I'm probably going to stay less technical, but that that stress stress does come. You know, people have been saying I need a co-host, which I don't want <laughs> mm. at all. And then also, yeah, maintain maintaining the quality of the interviews. Um, I've got busier. There's more demands of my time. When demands of my time increase, I you know have to focus on you know other things that gives me less time to prep for the interviews. So that's uh, that's certainly mm. a, a stressful thing. But you know, I I feel like I'm handling it okay.
2: Mm.
1: So, uh, remote work has been a huge topic for, for my podcast in particular the stress and creativity, that remote work either creates or, um, oper- uh, offers and, uh, crypto in itself seems to be something that, that is decentralized in its nature of being all over the world. Like it's not focused only in Silicon Valley where a lot of technology was before, what are your thoughts on this kind of spread of, uh, technology through the medium of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies? throughout the whole world, and how will it help our species create at greater, a greater level?
0: Well, remote work is an interesting thing, right? Um, so I obviously, I'm a remote worker, I work from home, but I work on my own, you know? This is the only conversation I will have today with another human, and you know, it can be quite lonely. It can be quite, you know, I used to have an advertising agency at London, an office full of people, and it's great because you've got people to talk to all day, you can go out for a drink after work. It's kind of cool. Now I'm just on my own and that can be quite a lonely experience. Mm. And you know, so that that's I like the idea of remote work. I think remote work works really well if you've got a family mm. because you know you 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 don't have the loneliness of your home and you also have the ability to be around for them more. I think if you're single, it's it's slightly different because you can spend all day on your own and then all evening on your own. So mm. I think I think remote work suits some companies and not others. It depends what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I work on my own, so it's not a question. When I had my agency, yeah, if somebody wanted to work from the other day from home, yeah, not a problem at all. Could I have operated the agency as as well as I did if everyone was remote? No, I don't think so. And sometimes I think you need to be with people, sat in a room with people and debating ideas. I think it's kind of horses for courses. Um, I think I'm not sure how cryptocurrencies change the game for this at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, hopefully it's going to enable people to create businesses they couldn't create before certainly Mm -hmm. in in more developing countries Um, and that's great and that's very cool but I'm not sure on a general level how cryptocurrencies will change other people
1: Mm -hmm. yeah I've just been noticing that that this rise in digital nomads seems to be a lot of the people out in Thailand who are on beaches and stuff like that are also there's a lot of them trading crypto and uh, people involved in kind of both. So it seems like the digital nomad has been kind of, there's a, a similar theme of cryptocurrency within that as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, what a great life if you can do it. Yeah. Perhaps there's some of those people who got into Bitcoin early and the Bitcoin rich and they can live where they want to do where, what they want. I mean, I can do mine remotely. I could travel the world. With my, uh, with my case of microphones and my Zoom, I could almost certainly do that. And that would be a great life.
1: <laughs> yeah, the only difficulty then is I've tried it and that's the uh, uh, time zones is that it's really difficult to schedule interviews when you're in one time zone and then think about not only the time zone that you're in, you will be in, but the time zone that the guests will be in as well unless you happen to travel to the same place.
0: Yeah, well, I have to consider that all the time because often they're, uh, they're usually in the US. So I'm doing most of my remote interviews um, in the afternoon to the evening. But the other thing I have to think about with time zones is publishing. Mm. You know, I like to get a show out in the morning in the UK, but next week I'm going to be in the US, right?
2: Mm. So if
0: I'm in the UK and I want to get it, say I've got to get a show out tomorrow, I can get up in the morning, get it ready and say I get it out by lunchtime. That's kind of cool. But if I do that, if I'm in the US and I operate with the same model, it's not going to get out in the UK till the evening and I sometimes have them going out. So it's kind of coming out at 11 o'clock in the evening in the UK. So I what I have to do when I'm out in the US, I have to get everything ready the night before. And, mm. and, and then when I get up first thing in the morning published, and that's usually lunchtime UK, but that's, yeah, I do have to think about that as well. Mm.
1: How many li- of your listeners are in the UK or in how many are across the world?
0: So I think it's about 40% us, I think mm. about 15% UK, and then it's just all over the world.
1: Interesting um and is are there a lot of meetups in about about bitcoin in in the u k
0: um yeah, mm-hmm. there are, um but I don't go to any. I live in this little town called Bedford, which no one really knows, and I'm also a single dad, so um I'm often around for my kids, so I don't really uh, get involved in the meetups here. I tend to when I travel will work out to the u s and stuff make some time to kind of meet up with other groups, and like I say, majority of my listeners are out there anyway.
1: uh-huh, that's cool. Um so what is kind of the the biggest thing in your life over the past month that you've either an article you've read an idea you've had a conversation you've had that has either helped you become less stressed or more creative
0: sorry again you cut out there say that again yeah.
1: so what is an article an idea a concept that you've heard over the last month that has been able that has made you more creative and less stressed
0: Oh, that's a good question. Hmm. Hmm. Try and actually remember anything. What have I heard over? Uh, I mean <laughs> spend less time on Twitter. <laughs> that's what somebody <laughs> told me. <laughs> spend less time on Twitter, spend uh-huh. less time defending yourself. Trolls uh-huh. are trolls. I listen to um I went on YouTube and searched for Joe Rogan trolls and there's two or three times he's gone on about them. And everything he says about them is right. Just ignore them. Yeah. You know. They're usually uh, angry, degenerate people who aren't really contributing anything, who are just sitting on the edges and their role in life is to be a troll. Just ignore them. And that has been useful. And, you know, I am getting better at that. And I am trying to distance myself from Twitter. I think there's something else I've done recently, which is probably nothing to do with work, but I think has been well, it's kind of to do with work. So when I take my kids out for dinner now, we leave all our phones at home. Mm we leave them at home, leave them in the kitchen and we go out and do you know what happens is I stop using uh, work as an excuse to just check my Twitter mm. or check my email and we sit there and we have dinner and the three of us talk rather than like me checking Twitter, my son on Snapchat and my daughter playing a game, mm. which has happened. Uh-huh. So yeah, we leave, our phones, we leave our phones at home. We don't take them out whenever we're going to dinner. And I think that's been great. Uh,
1: that's cool. Um, that's really cool. And, what has been the best conversation so our listeners can find more about, um, about your podcast? What, what has been your best conversation in the last two months that you've recorded?
0: Yeah, I had this really amazing one when I was out in Boston with Andrew Polstra, who's a blockstream scientist. Uh, he, worked, he worked on Bitcoin for a long time. Mm. Um, I was really nervous about it because he's like a real technical guy. I was like, I don't know what we're gonna talk about. And this amazing interview came out of nowhere where we just kind of had lived it. And it was just like this beautiful conversation that went back and forth where you told these great stories. And everybody who heard the interview absolutely loved it, like just thought it was amazing. Mm. So, yeah, so that was super cool. Um, that, that's the one I would point people to because it's, it's a typical Bitcoin interview that just came out of nowhere. And it just was an absolute thing of beauty.
1: Huh. What are the best interviews in your, in your opinion? What, what is the, what are the elements of the best interview? What
0: from, uh, what I, I, from and in other general, people or myself?
1: In general, like if you're, if you have a, a, either you're listening to another podcast, you're doing a podcast yourself. What are the best elements that set up a podcast to be really good?
0: Um, again, it depends. Mm-hmm. So my favorite crypto podcast is Tales from a Crypt by Marty Ben because it's a very good two-way conversation. Mm. Like they have these very good long two-way conversation. I love his, I love getting in a car, and I can listen to three or four of his in a row and just really just engross myself in it. But that wouldn't suit my podcast because I I don't think I'm a good debater and I don't think I have very good strong opinions and I don't have much knowledge.
2: Mm. Uh, But I
0: do think what I maybe add to the mix is that I do ask possibly good questions. So I think for certain interviews, it's for the interviewer to, to get the guest to speak, but most of the time to shut up and mm-hmm. make it about the guest. And I make, think that makes for a very strong interview. Mm-hmm. But like, like I said about Marty Benz, that contradicts that, because with his, I want to hear him speak. So mm-hmm. it all depends on the person. Uh, I think Joe Rogan is, is an absolute master in podcasting. Um, he's, the, he's the biggest for a number of reasons but I've really started to appreciate what he does now and the way he gets guests to speak and and, and allows all sides to have an opinion. Mm. and I think That is a, that's a really good thing.
1: Which is the opposite of what censorship wants, which is that basically like some opinions aren't allowed, um, yeah. which is, which is difficult when it comes to creativity because in, in that initial creative process, all thing all channels must be open to find a, the best creative answer.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You, you, I, you know, I, I'm learn. the more I learn about a uh, Bitcoin, the more conservative I become and the more I become scared of censorship. Mm. And I th- used to think what well, were a good thing I, I, I no longer think I uh, think are. Uh, and I think c- censorship is a very scary and dangerous uh, path to go down.
1: Mm. That's really interesting. One idea re- I recently saw on another podcast, which was actually about psychedelics, which might be cool for, for the crypto is, the, the podcast host had two people come on the show and then it was a remote interview and he would switch screens for 10, they, he would give each um, guest 10 minutes and the other one couldn't talk during that 10 minutes. So it'd be like uh, 10 minute, you know, why is this better than the other one? And then uh, that person would go on for 10 minutes and then it would switch to the other person. The other person couldn't talk during that. So they would give him free space to be extremely controversial and, and, say like exactly what they wanted to say without the other person interrupting, which was, would be cool in any type of, um, in any situation where there's a very highly contentious thing that's being talked about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know man, you mm-hmm. know, like how long have you been doing this?
1: Uh, about a year and three months.
0: And how many episodes have you done?
1: Uh, about 70, 70. Yeah.
0: What, what, what is, how's it changed for you over that time?
1: Hmm, uh, how, how have the interviews changed or how have I changed? How have, you... how have I changed? Yes. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting question. I, I, it's hard for me to say cause I don't really have access to myself. I have an idea of what, what I was like a year and three months ago, but, uh, but definitely my rate of learning has gone through the roof. So uh, my, just, it's really interesting how I'll be reading about something and then I'll have an interview with somebody. And then that same thing that I was reading about, even though they were different contexts, would then come back in the interview. So it's, the it's, I, I've always been a self-learner, so I've always been reading a lot, I've always been writing a lot, um, but there's a new element now that I'm having conversations now. So it's kind of making my learning way more integral and integrating my learning into my life in a way that it didn't before there's this thing called the exponential forgetting curve where we forget about 90% of everything we learn within four days, unless you have a reminder at three days that reminds you about what you learned. And then that, that exponential forgetting curve will go up to eight days. And then at seven days, if you remember something, it'll then increase it to like 30 days. And so, um, uh, so I'm always learning reading and stuff. And this is gives me another kind of angle for that, Exponential forgetting curve to for me to defeat that exponential forgetting curve and um, kind of integrate everything I'm learning.
0: So, let me tell you something because it's, it's I'm totally not answering your question, but something that stuck out for me recently as well is that it's, I was talking to my son about this in doing the podcast before I used to have some quite firm, like hard views on certain mm-hmm. things, but now I'm doing the podcast, I'm trying to listen to all opinions and all thoughts and all sides and be you know, give as much um time and and effort to like even contrarian views but in doing so in listening to so many different opinions i'm finding that i have less firm opinions of my own anymore because i hear so many different well argued points that are from two sides of an argument that i start to think i don't know it's really tough Mm -hmm. i'm starting to now think i don't really have a strong opinion anymore because i don't want to have that strong opinion because I find these strong opinions create uh, divisions between people mm. and create, you know, Trump's done this, you know, uh, and I don't hate Trump as much as everyone else. I mean, mm. I'm certainly not a fan, but these divisions just divide people and people should be working together sometimes in, in a better way. And I found like in doing the podcast, like, I don't have these like as firm opinions on certain things. Anymore.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that, that, um, that's a huge thing I get into the podcast as well, which is that Uh, I'm not about getting answers so I'm more about developing better questions and this podcast is is a is a really good way to do that so as soon as somebody starts to get into answer this is the answer this is this is this is this is is what what you got to learn usually I won't interview that person because it it doesn't really um, it doesn't really uh, contribute much to really getting because the, the, the real way that you progress is by asking better questions because an answer is only dependent on the question you ask so the best way to, um, to progress. And this is particularly in the spiritual realm, uh, is that if you, uh, is, is if you increase, increase the quality and, and precision of the questions that you ask.
0: Yeah, I totally agree, man. I totally agree.
1: Yeah. Well, cool. Thank you so much for coming on the show. How can people find out more about you and find more, more about your podcast?
0: Well, my name is Peter McCormack. I'm at Peter McCormack on Twitter. Um, but if you want to find my podcast, it's called What Bitcoin Did. If you Google What Bitcoin Did, you'll find it. You'll find, find my website, which is com, or you'll find me on iTunes. It's very easy. Um, and yeah, let, I'll just say thank you for inviting me on. I've really enjoyed this.
1: Cool. Thank you very much. All right. Have a great day. Thanks for tuning into the show. If you liked it, please go ahead and find us on iTunes or Spotify and hit the subscribe button. I'll publish each episode by Monday morning before your commute, so make sure to check in then. And this is a reminder to just own your crazy because the challenges that this world will be facing over the next 100 years will require us to think way outside the box. As Hunter S. Thompson said, when the going gets weird, the weird turn pro. Thanks, have a great day.